Spring is in full swing and summer is just around the corner. A great time for a beach getaway at the Oceanfront Boardwalk Plaza Hotel in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. Enjoy the best of oceanfront accommodations and amazing dining right on the beach, both with great views of the ocean and boardwalk. Enjoy a soak in the heated indoor spa pool or book the adults-only concierge level and relax in the rooftop hot tubs. Book online at boardwalkplaza.com or call 800-33 beach thanks to the boardwalk plaza for being the bridge podcast network sponsor story jumpers welcome to another episode of your favorite storytelling podcast are you ready to hear a great story of course that's why you're a story jumper once more the reluctant hero ricky bradshaw who happens to suffer from absent seizures that make him zone out faces a life-threatening event His mom is sick, like really sick. Desperate to try anything to get a miracle, Ricky agrees to be baptized in a creek by the pirate preacher. But things go from bad to worse to apocalyptic when Ricky doesn't come up for air. In the next moment, he's on a ship with Jonah the prophet in the middle of a raging storm. Sensing that the gods want someone to be sacrificed, the crew of the barbaric men cast lots to see who's going to be the unlucky chump that goes into the sea. Except, surprise, surprise, fate has other plans. Out of nowhere, a giant octopus grabs Ricky and drags him down, down, down into the abyss. For a few harrowing moments, Ricky and Jonah share a really tiny space in the gut of the Kraken. When Ricky washes ashore, his troubles really begin. Enjoy this reading of Down to Davy Jones by Eddie Jones. Hello, welcome to the Pirate Preacher, where we explore the words of the first wave walker and battle life storms. Arg! Ye ready for to sail, mate? If so, climb aboard! A Stormy Voyage, Battling Demonic Fury in Leaky Vessels From a blackened sky, the storm screened with demonic fury. Rain pelted the vessel's decks above us, driving our haggard crew below. With each wobbling claw up the back of a wave, the leaky ship creaked and moaned in long, agonizing moans. Oops, sorry. I meant to say that with each wobbling tug on the oars, the backs of the crew creaked and men groaned in long, agonizing moans. The ship also made sounds, mostly of a sloshing, sinking sort. I sat hunched forward on a wooden bench similar to the type you might find in a primitive church crowded with men, none of whom smelled as if they were fond of bathing. I was in the center of the middle pew, grasping the end of a long oar that fed out through an open port. I promise I'm not going to whine about how I ended up experiencing another epileptic absence seizure. Instead, I choose to project a positive outlook like the great explorer Marco Polo, who traveled along the Silk Road from Europe to Asia between 1271 and 1295, waving to peasants who wielded pitchforks and called, Marco! Polo! before ducking behind stone walls and snickering to one another. That Marco Polo, what an oaf! Only an idiot would wear a fox fur shawl, puffy pants, and bedroom slippers to go swimming. 
But this was a different time, and that time was the age of exploration, and swimsuits had not yet been invented. So after blindly flailing around in water up to his chest while trying to locate giggling boys and girls dressed in nothing more than undergarments, Marco would emerge, soaked, skin shriveled like an old man, hair matted on his fox fur shawl, and open his eyes. Only then would the son of Mr. Polo realize that he had stood in the water all alone. With his white pantaloons ruined from water tainted with urine, this champion of exploration would think to himself, I bet if I had a logo on my shirt with a guy riding a horse and carrying a big stick, the other kids in the Latin class wouldn't make fun of me. Such was the positive outlook Marco Polo admitted. Also, due to the fact that scented soap and deodorant had not yet been invented, Marco Polo also emitted a stench very much like that of the men seated around me. Bend your backs, ladies, barked the quartermaster, or you'll have no backs to bend. Snap! Snap! The ship's quartermaster barked lots of orders. He was a large, snarling breed of barkers, bare-chested with arms the thickness of a main spar and wearing what appeared to be a cloth adult diaper kept in place by a leather belt, the quartermaster struck an imposing figure with his bullwhip. In this case, the imposing figure was a rather largest man, hunched over his oar. Snap! Snap! Upon receiving the lash, the hunched man tumbled face first onto the floor. Uh, sir, said the imposing figure's neighbor, I, I think Camille is dead. Snap! No dying while rolling! Snap! Snap! And no jawing and dying while rolling! Do I make myself clear? Aye, sir! A figure appeared in the doorway. Sir, the squire demands your presence. Tell him I'm busy trying to whip these men into shape, replied Barking Bart. He thought you might say that and warned that if you did not come at once, he would order you to give yourself the lash. Barking Bart coiled his whip and hooked it on a loop on his adult diaper. Bend your backs into it, ladies, or... We'll have no backs to bend, sir, the men said in unison. No sooner had Barking Bart started toward the exit when he wheeled and glared at me. I'm keeping an eye on you, little shrimp. With that less than encouraging warning, the ship's quartermaster left the rowing deck, and the crew breathed a sigh of relief. Then, due to the crew's bad breath, the crew gagged. To those around me, my neighbor whispered, I fear a man will soon be sacrificed to appease the gods. I said nothing. Being new to the ship, and from all appearances the youngest, I did not wish to stand out or inhale. And not just any man, said my neighbor, but the one who invited this hellish squall that has descended upon us. Not an expert in meteorology or ocean weather patterns or the whims of weather gods, I kept my head down. Also, I was pretty sure my neighbor meant me. Should this continue, the man beside me said, this vessel will go down within hours. Perhaps minutes, said another. We should toss the lad over now, said my neighbor. Yes, toss the little shrimp, said the, my neighbor in front. Due to the fact that my neighbor in front lacked most of his teeth, what he actually said was, toss the widow shrimp. Toss the widow shrimp, the men began snickering. Then chanting, Toss the widow shrimp! Toss the widow shrimp! With the mob's men chanting, growing louder, Barking Bart returned with a well dressed man. Well dressed in the sense that he had on trousers, shirts, vest, coat, and shoes. By comparison, 
The men on the crew were down to threadbare loincloths. Ladies, this is the squire, said Barking Bart. He owns this tub and wishes to see it delivered on time. The fancily dressed men looked us over, walking back and forth with his hands clasped behind his back, a scowl of disapproval on his portly face. How goes the rowing? The men seem to lack incentive, answered Barking Bart. Stroking his white pointy beard, the squire asked, Have you given them the lash? Aye, and often. And rats. Have you unleashed the rats? Have, but after nibbling a toe or two, the varmin seemed to scamper away. It's the odor, sir. Even the rats have standards, low though they may be. Tugging hard, he pulled on the hairs from his white pointy chin. Then the squire said, Then put the fear of death in the men. Select a man for keel hauling. The crew gasped, then coughed due to the stench of the inhale. Are you sure? Barking Bart asked. Losing even one man to keel hauling could cut into our speed. If it's motivation the men need, it's motivation they will receive, replied the squire. Not keel hauling, whispered my neighbor. Anything but keel hauling. A young man sprouting sparse whiskers on his chin and a lip asked, Is keel hauling bad? Why, there be nothing worse, replied my neighbor. First, the victim is tied to one end of a long rope. Then he's thrown overboard and dragged under the ship's keel, sinking back along the length of her hull until he crashes into the rudder. If at that point the poor chap has not drowned, he's pulled aboard, hauled to the bow, and dropped over again. Even if the first victim survives the first dunking, another man piped up, the second dunking will usually finish him off. You! Barking Bart pointed at me. On your feet! Me? Barking Bart snapped his whip over my head in a threatening manner. Rest of you scallywags, back into it, or we'll have no backs to bend, sir. Might make a decent crew yet, mumbled Barking Bart. You, little shrimp, with me. A dip and a trip under the ship will make quick work of you. Toss the widow shrimp, the men chanted. Toss the widow shrimp. Toss the widow shrimp. Barking Bart gave me a wry smile. Not popular with the crew, eh? I guess not, I replied. We'll see if you're more popular with sharks, widow shrimp. In search of jigger sails, my new motto is put to the test. A scorching wind blew us along. Each time the ship's bow crashed into a wave, blistering hot spray blasted my bones. I have to hand it to your mate. Well, you sail after you pray. Wouldn't necessarily call what I did back there a prayer. I only spoke some words from a book I remember reading. By talking to spirits while on the helm, many a feller has kept himself from going mad. That be how come the wheels spindles be called spooks. It's spokes, I corrected, not spooks. Spokes, spooks. You say banana, I say Havana. In the yellow grayness of the howling gale, hot rain hammered the wooden decks of the terrible torment. To be honest, I had no idea the name of Becky's ship, and I didn't dare ask. So the terrible torment was sort of like a made-up name. We're carrying too much canvas, I said. We need to come into the wind so we can sheet in and shorten sail. Oh no, not the dreaded short sheet. Becky said, mocking me. Prepare to come into the wind, I said loudly. 
Get ready to set the jigger sail, and also the fore and aft and mainsail. We have a jigger sail? Too few ask. Becky rolled her eyes. Bet Raj made up the name of that one. He says dumb stuff like that in world history all the time. Where there be a jigger sail, there ought to be strong spirits to pour into said jigger. Set the sails first. Then you can search for spirits, I answered. Saying dumb stuff like jigger sail is a gift Raj has. That's not true. My gift is letting you borrow my class notes so you can pass test. Becky reached for the wheel. I'll drive the boat. You help that drunk do the thing with the whatever. Can you hold this course? Of course I can hold this course. What is our course? Straight ahead. How do you know that we're not sailing into an even worse storm, Becky asked. Ever think of that? I'm choosing to take an upbeat attitude about all this. Like in kindergarten, she asked. That was different. I had high hopes for us back then. Too few returned from doing some stuff with sails. Warned you Gale would bore a hard blow hard? With any luck, this storm will pass, I said. If it's luck you're counting on, it just got worse. Look there off our stern. There'll be but one ship that sails among the blackest of storms with their decks ablaze. Do we have any, what do you call it, oil for that steering wheel, Becky asked? It's hard to turn. That's because we have too much weather helm, I told her. We need to adjust course. Didn't I just suggest that, like a second ago? Becky asked. Ship like that can be none other than the Flying Dutchman. There's no such ship. The Flying Dutchman is a made-up myth. Ah, that where you be wrong, mate. The Dutchman ne'er makes port, and she ne'er burns up. If she never makes port, how can anyone know she exists? Because I've sailed aboard her, mate, and I tell you true, some men do tell tales. Like you just did? Take no prisoners, leave none alive. That be the way of the Dutchman's crew. Any idea how we can outrun that boat, Becky asked? Ship, I said. And the move here is to let fly all the canvas. Go big or go home. That, that's my motto. Trust me, Becky yelled above the raging storm. Raj never goes big. Totally out of character for him. Too few thumbed his eye patch, removing spray and rain. Sink me! We've been sighted! How can you tell? Her gun ports be springing open. I count two, no, three rows of cannons. We need to make speed and be quick about it. From within the knotted fist of dark clouds, a ship of enormous size emerged from the wall of blackness. Reaching out in front of the Dutchman, funnels of rain extended downward from anvil decks. Spinning, bending twisters, three, six, twelve, spewed rain and spray. She commands the weather, the Dutchman does, too few continued, and a ruthless tyrant she be. Looking off our bow, I said, run from a fight and find shelter in the storm. That, that's my new motto. And the coward's way, Becky added. We'll head for that headland and hook a hard left. If we can make it there before the Dutchman blows us out of the water, we can try to duck out of sight. Like, they're not going to know which way we went? You have a better plan? Becky shrugged. No. In that case, we'll go with mine. Taking another check off our stern, I got a sinking feeling in the place where my gut should have been. The Dutchman looked to be at least 130 feet at the waterline. I pivoted back toward Becky. Pills? Really?
At the moment, it seemed like a good idea. And now? There are some decisions you wish you could take back, but can't. Oh, I wouldn't be so sure. Thanks for sailing with the Pirate Preacher. May you enjoy fair winds and smooth swells on life's journey. Story Jumpers! Boy, pirates sound dangerous and full of trouble! What do you think awaits Ricky Bradshaw? Well, I've got somebody here who can clue us in to all of Ricky's adventures. It's the author of the Caribbean Chronicles series, Eddie Jones. Hey, Eddie, how are you? Thank you, and happy for welcoming me aboard, matey. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Man, welcome aboard. It's so good to have you here. I've seen the covers of the books, and now we've enjoyed uh, just a little taste of the Caribbean Chronicles. And I got to say, as someone who loves pirates and sailing ships and everything that goes along with it, you've really captured this well. Yeah, you know, the whole pirate series thing, I've always been attracted to it. I'm a Jimmy Buffett fan, and of course, Pirate Looks at 40 is a huge hit. You know, if you've ever been to a Buffett concert or know anything about Buffett, then, you know, there is that, for a lot of people, that uh, nostalgic, I wish I could have lived about 300 years ago and been a pirate, because it seems like a really good life. Of course, it wasn't a good life uh, for most (laughs) pirates. Um, the reason they became pirates were either a they were criminals, so there's a there's that element. Um, some of them, a lot of them, were pressed into service by the British Royal Navy. That's what the word "pressed into service" means. They would go and find these individuals who were drunks on the street, homeless. Basically, the British Royal Navy would kidnap them, force them onto a British warship, and then send them out to sea. And and most of these individuals did not swim, so the British Navy would never anchor close enough to shore where they could jump off and escape because they wanted to escape, right? That was the life of a lot of the seamen back during the during the British Royal Navy highs. And so these guys, when they finally did escape, they knew how to sail. They just didn't want to have anything to do with the British Navy. So they became basically like gang members, right? They formed their own little gangs and would get on a ship and they'd go around and steal and plunder and all that. And that was a pirate's life, you know, to a large degree. Wow. Yeah, it really gets, um, the word is romanticized. It gets painted very beautifully and exciting and, you know, like this in the movies. But you're right. These folks weren't probably the kind of guys we want to hang out with necessarily. (laughs) No. No, the way I explain it is, you know, if we think about all the violence that goes on with gang members today and how you can't leave a gang, same kind of stuff happened with the pirates. You you couldn't, a lot of cases, leave a ship. I mean, you could if you tried hard, but there was always that resentment. Well, you 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 left us, so now you're my enemy. You know, there was that. Yeah, uh, a lot of rivalry and there was a lot of bitterness between them. And and the other thing, Andrew, is uh, pirates were not good with money. Uh, you know, once they got the wealth of the plunder, they rarely kept it. Right, because that's they didn't know anything about that, so they were constantly having to, you know, steal again, just steal again. So, wow. so then that brings up a good question, Eddie. Why should story jumpers begin reading the Caribbean Chronicles if it's about these terrible criminals at sea? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, 
So one of the things I do try to try to do really well is show the consequences of the actions um, because there is there is the sailing aspect, um, you know, there is the chase of the prize and all that. But uh, in every in every story, I try to make sure that the consequences of the action are portrayed accurately. And the re, you know the reality is um, you're either going to die on the deck or swing by the neck. That was the pirate motto. That was your out. I mean, most of these individuals knew that they were never going to go back and live the rest of their life on shore in a life of leisure. That rarely happened for a pirate or anybody serving on the crew. The end result was you're going to be dead, and you're probably going to die in a very violent way, and nobody's going to know and nobody's going to care. That's the end of a pirate life. So I try to make sure that comes out in every story. Man. Yeah, that's a steep consequence to pay, you know, for – this life of adventure that we think pirates might've been seeking. Uh, I'm glad that you paint that reality into the, into the story, but at the same time you keep things lighthearted for young people to read. Um, you know, so how, how is that accomplished? Well, yeah, because, you know, I'm trying to, you know, Andrew, I work off two different, uh, poles, right. I've got, I've got the very serious side where I'm trying to, I'm trying to get a message across that I hope can impact people's lives in a positive way, you know, but my wife says you're a preacher. And I go, that's why they call me the pirate preacher, right? Cause I'm a pirate, but I'm a, I can't seem to keep preaching, right? I preach to people, right? So there's that serious side. Um, but the flip side is I cannot stay serious for very long, right? So even in discussions, I'm always looking for that one opportunity. Once things get heavy, to pop the balloon so everybody laughs and we move on to the next scene. And that's where the humor comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I, I'm a firm believer that if you want to get a serious message across and you don't want to uh, leave your your readers in angst and you know ready to just cry all the time, you have to have humor. You've got to have the humor sidekick to go along to give people a chance to, to laugh. And that's what humor does. When we laugh, we are actually inhaling a lot of oxygen. Laughter causes, by the very nature of laughter, it forces us to exhale a lot and inhale a lot. And that, that oxygen coming in is what elevates the neurons and, and the dopamines in our brain and makes us feel better. That's part of why laughter is so positive. And so the same thing happens in story. When you, hear, when you get enough humor coming in, then that makes you feel good. And then you can get to the, through the next tough scene you know, and go, well, that was heavy. And, but you know what joke's coming so it's going to be okay. That's cool. One of the other things that you do is weave in some of the kind of the fantastic or the the imaginary lore of the pirate life. And like we saw in this particular um, segment from down to Davy Jones, you introduce us to Davy Jones. Tell us a little bit more about that because, you know, I've only heard snippets of lore. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's two elements in this, this story that, um, that are, are legends in the pirate thing. And one is going down to Davy Jones and it's, it's Davy Jones's locker, right? That's really the, 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 what we're talking about. And Davy Jones locker means you go down into the depths of the sea and you never come back up. You are locked down in the depths of the sea. And of course that's a biblical uh, reference too. there. You know, those who are in the depths of the sea will, will, will come, will come out of the sea. Those, will, you know, in graves will come out of the graves. So no matter where you are, you're going to come out of whatever. Uh, but down to Davy Jones, it's a hard place to go down to because one of the reasons is nobody knows where we are. 
least on land, you know, if you pass and somebody's going to bury you, um, they'll dig a hole or dig a dot, and they don't know where you. They don't know where your plot is. Uh, in fact, that's actually part of the reason that there were uh, pirates used to wear earrings. Um, these were earrings, and that part of that was so that when they at their death, somebody could sell the earrings for a little bit and buy them a plot where they could be buried. Um, so that was their their interment. But if you go, if you die at sea, nobody knows where you are. Nobody can ever come back and visit you. Nobody knows where you are, and so it's you really are buried at sea without any way of being found. Uh, and that's what happens in Down to Davy Jones. And I just kind of wanted to explore what happens. Um, when uh, somebody goes down to Davy Jones and doesn't come back up, you know, mm. what's that other world like? Uh, mm. Yeah, that would be scary for sure to think that your family is left behind and they don't know where you're at. They can't do anything to say goodbye to you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, it, it is one of those things, you know, we, we talk a little bit about, uh, about suicide in this country um, and as horrific as it is, at least when it's done, um, you know, on land, somebody has to find the body and that, that there, but at least there's an ending, there's a closure, right? Mm-hmm. But somebody that, somebody that goes off on an adventure, be it mountain climbing or sailing and never comes back, mm-hmm. there's never any closure for that family because they don't really know. They don't really know. There's always a possibility. Mm-hmm. Well, Maybe Eddie did make it to Brazil. Maybe he did find that island someplace. Maybe that's where he's living, right? There's always that hope. Maybe he's still okay, but you don't really know if you've gone to sea. And that's what happened to all these uh, pirates. And that's what's in the series part of that. Well, so the Caribbean Chronicles, can you tell us a little bit about that collection and what um, what your hope is with that collection of stories? Well, yeah, so the nostalgia of pirates has always fascinated me, and I wanted to show it in a realistic way of how um, people that go to sea are really just gang members, and so I try to make sure I do all that. Um, But in this case, my main character, Ricky Bradshaw, suffers from what I call an affliction called absence seizures. And so for him, um, and the way I explain it is, if you've ever had a moment where you daydreamed, uh, and your eyes kind of lock on something, and you, you're you conscious of what's going on, but you don't want to break eye contact with whatever that thing is you're looking. You just kind of, your brain freezes for a while. That's kind of what happens to people who have absence seizures. It's a form of epilepsy for the brain. And it only lasts typically, you know, if you've got this affliction, it's only like five, ten seconds, and then you snap out of it. Um, but it can be, uh, you know, if you've got absence seizures, it's, it's, it's not fun. Um, if you, you know, one of the instances that, uh, I know of is, you know, a kid can raise his hand in class to ask a question of a teacher. Uh, so he's got his hand raised to ask the question and then he suffers an episode and it can be five seconds or 10 seconds. It's not very long, but when he comes out of it, the class is snickering and laughing and pointing because the teachers ask three times, Ricky, you, you've got a question, Ricky, what's your question, Ricky? Are you, what is this, Ricky? And then he snaps out of it. And he doesn't have any memory of any of that, but everybody around him knows what's going on. Mm. That's what happens with somebody with absence seizures. They are aware of the, their circumstances, but everybody else knows what's going on. And they come out of it and they've lost, they're lost. So I wanted to show Ricky if that's his affliction. That's the, that's the thing he has to deal with. And, uh, and there's, Eventually, a lot of people grow out of absence seizures, but not everybody does. And it is a form of epilepsy, so it's not to be 
made fun of. And, uh, no. I'm trying not to make sure, you know, that it's a joke. Um, but in Ricky's case, every time he has an absence seizure, he gets to go back in time to Pirate Land. That's just his his go-to place. And so when he goes back in time to Pirate Land, he's sailing with real pirates on real ships. <clears throat> his life is, I mean, he can experience pain just like everybody else. But in a sense, he's immortal because he's, it's all of this is happening in his head, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he can suffer pain and everything else, but he just can't die, right? And then after the seizure's over, he's back out of it, and that's the end of the pirate story. So that's his, his time travel portal that gets him back back into time and, you know, and brings him out of it. So it, in the series, he sailed with uh, Calico Jack, Ann Bonnie, uh, Mary Reed, uh, and then, and um, one of the one, the last the book four, he sailed with Blackbeard, Steve Bonnet, and in this one, like I said, it wasn't a famous pirate. He gets to go back in time into Davy Jones and gets chased by the, the crew of the Flying Dutchman, wow. which is another mythical side of pirates. It's this mythical ship that sailed by the dead. Yeah. Right? So that's yeah. he's in the other world being chased by the. the those are the Flying Dutchman. Crazy. What? Yeah, and the reason the reason he's chased by the Flying Dutchman in this book is because in book two he made a commitment to trade his body to the crew of the Flying Dutchman. Right? He, they could, he could keep his soul, but they needed his body. Right? There's a whole side of that I won't go into, but that was the deal, and he reneged on the deal. He backtracked on the deal, and he said, "I never made the deal. That was, the deal was made on my behalf. It's not my deal." Uh, and in this book five, the crew of the Flying Dutchman wants the body. They want his body, and now he owes interest. He has to provide two bodies, right? And so they're trying to, you know, lay claim on him. So he's being chased by the crew of the Flying Dutchman, and they're harvesting. In this book, the crew of the Flying Dutchman is harvest are harvesting the bodies of the souls of the dead. That's their that's their mission is to harvest yeah. the body. They sound like a vicious crew. That doesn't sound good at all. No, it's not, and that and I, I try to portray that pretty realistically. Um, I don't dwell on it a lot, but towards the end of the book, there are a couple of examples where uh, a mercy ship is is captured, and a mercy ship uh, is a bunch of passengers who are invalids who would be in the hospital. So, if you can imagine, if you can imagine the people in the hospital who don't have very long to live, right? Literally, they don't have very long to live, uh, and if you can imagine them being transported. Uh, time travel wise to a ship and as soon as the flying Dutchman captures this ship and kills them then that individual will die, will die in the hospital in mm-hmm. real life okay so that's the tie-in in the, in the two what that's the underworld and the above world that's how the two worlds are connected right uh, and the pirates aren't they're not nice they're not mm-hmm. nice they, they have fun they have fun with the elderly who are dying um, yeah. in, a, in a very morbid way. So you've taken a lot of this pirate lore and legend and you've taken a lot of the pirate history and you've blended that with, you know, values and, and a message. And I think you've done a great job of painting a, a real vivid landscape for Ricky Bradshaw and readers to explore. Why do you think parents should pick up the Caribbean Chronicles for something that their, their kids would like to read? Well, i I'm not sure, because <laughs> part of part of this is normally when I would when I back before COVID I would go to schools and um, you know I, I would read to kids in middle middle grade usually that was my my thing and I, uh, 
I would always ask them, I was like, well, uh, how many of y'all want to graduate from school, go to college, you know, and get a degree and then go get a job and work 40, 50, 60 hours a week like your mom and dad, save a lot of money? How many of y'all want to do that? And very rarely would anybody raise their hand, right? I was like, y'all don't want to do that? No. I said, well, how many of y'all would just rather just go around stealing stuff and sailing on a boat? And everybody, everybody raised their hand. Like, yeah, I love you. Well, what? You're a good candidate for a pirate. Welcome aboard. Um, but the reality is, our, our, the, for parents, um, the moral values that I'm trying to instill are the same moral values that have been around forever, which is uh, it, it's the way you treat your neighbor. Um, you're going to have to sacrifice. Uh, you, you cannot live for yourself. If you're living for yourself, you're not going to make it out of the boat. You're not going to make it out of life. Uh, eventually, it's going to catch up. The selfishness will eventually catch up to you. The bullying will always catch up to you. Um, and you can't be uh, you can't be an individual uh, who thinks that hanging around with the wrong crowd somehow is going to allow you to live a good life. It will not happen. That is just a reality. Uh, the company you keep will absolutely bring you down. And that's one of the themes that comes out in every book. Because, um, again, we're talking about pirates. And it was the company that they kept. That's the reason they became pirates and stayed pirates. Um, and there are other moral themes that I keep in each one. And this one, um, and down to Davy Jones, what I wanted to show um, was the possibility that we think by ending our life, somehow we're bringing ourselves peace. Mm-hmm. At the expense of other people, because they're going to have a great deal of uh, of not peace, Stress, you know, yeah. and, and and guilt and torment the rest of their life because uh, I've ended my life, but you know then they've got to deal with. But we think that somehow uh, ending a life is a, is going to lead lead to peace. And I wanted to show in this book that may not be the case. <clears throat> that um, if you consider that the way you end your life could just be a very elongated way of dying so that um, whatever weapon or choice, in, in this case, I think we use, uh, I was talking about sleeping pills, for example. Well, imagine if you took sleeping pills and you started to fall asleep and you knew you were falling asleep and you knew that eventually you were going to die because of these pills and suddenly you didn't want to die. Suddenly you had a change of heart. But you also knew that you couldn't stop the process. Mm. You were sleepier and sleepier. And that process went on for thousands of years. And in very small degrees, that was the way you were slowly falling asleep. And it's a type of torment you can't escape. That's kind of what I wanted to present to readers in a very lighthearted way, but to let them know death is not the solution. It is not the solution. It's, it's life. You will, you're only going to find life, and, and what, however tough it is, my goodness, go find a friend, go find somebody who will support you, but do not think just ending it is going to be the end of it. It's not. It's just the beginning of the torment. That's mm. kind of what I want to present. Well, I think it's a great message, and I think kids, young and old, need to hear it, you know, because you're right. Life is where it's at. Uh, it's not up to us when we decide to go. And so, you know, hopefully your your message will continue to carry forward with these stories. Yeah, and, and this one, uh, you know, Ricky's slowly learning um, that really the value of life, if you're not sure if your life is worth living, 
right? Ricky's learning this, right? Because he's been a pretty self-centered kid his whole life. Anyway, he's 15, so he's pretty narcissistic to begin with, right? Uh, But what he's finally beginning to figure out is that life is worth living because people, because he can make a difference in people's lives, you know, and that's where the value of life is. And so he learns that if I can help one person, even though my life just may be terrible, that helping that one person suddenly makes my life more valuable than I thought it was. And so if I help two people, now my life is really, it's double. I've doubled the value of my life. If I help three, wow, I've had a really good day. And, and I, you know, without me being a preacher and getting on too much, I mean, that's one of the reasons Jesus said, help your neighbor. Uh, I, I tell people, that, uh, you know, when we do the Bible study, when Jesus said, the poor will always be with you, you know, sometimes we take that as a downer, like, well, okay, they're always going to be poor. Or we can look at it and go, what a great opportunity. He's saying, there's going to be plenty of poor people. You will never run out of opportunity to help somebody and make a difference in their life. What a blessing. Look at look around the field. I mean, that's another way of looking at life. Is there are plenty of opportunities for life to be of value. Uh, just go help somebody. Just help somebody. Man, that's excellent, Eddie. Thank you so much for sharing just this one glimpse of the Caribbean Chronicles and Ricky Bradshaw's story. Would you mind coming back and sharing with us again? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah like I said, my wife calls me the power preacher, so I'm, I'm always get willing to get on a soapbox and preach from the deck. I can do that all day long. Yes. <laughs> I love it. The pirate preacher. Eddie, thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Parents. Eddie Jones is an award-winning author of middle-grade fiction. Father of two boys, he's also a pirate at heart who loves to surf. An avid sailor with a great sense of humor, Eddie has been married to a girl he met at a stoplight in West Palm Beach during spring break a long, long time ago in a Ford Galaxy far, far away. His Caribbean Chronicle series is a humorous time travel pirate fantasy adventure series. All of Eddie Jones' YA and middle grade books are available as audiobooks. His novels are fun, fast reads for teens and tweens. Learn more about his books when you visit his website, eddiejones.org.